we're going to spend some time in Colossians this summer. As we've already talked about, today there is going to be over 100 people, maybe as many as 150 Christians from Crossing, from Living Hope, from these other churches we are introduced today, from Cornerstone Community Church in Philadelphia, that are going to be descending upon Mifflin Park there in South Philly. They'll be doing face painting. They'll be preaching. They'll be water games. They'll be puppets. They'll be hot dogs. They'll be popcorn, cotton candy, games, music. And did I mention sweat? Why? Why? That, that, why? That has to cost thousands of dollars. So it costs money. We will all be sweaty and sticky, and some of us will smell. It will cost us comfort. It's going to take up our whole afternoon. It's going to cost time. It's Philadelphia. It's not Never Never Land, and Peter Pan is not there to protect us from Captain Hook. There's no guarantee for safety. So why do all that? Why all the money? Why all the time, the discomfort, the possible danger? Paul understood this. Paul Paul understood what's going to happen today, and he understood the need to build bridges to others. In 1 Corinthians, don't go there, I'm just going to read it for us for a point of reference. In 1 Corinthians 9, 22 and 23, he says this, Yes, whatever a person is like, I try and find common ground with him so that he will let me tell him about Christ. And let Christ save him. I do this. This is what Paul's saying. This is, and then also I just want you to know this is in my version of the Bible. I do this. I do face painting. I do puppets. I do hot dogs. I do cotton candy. I go down there in the, in the city for all of these reasons. I do this to get to preach the gospel to them. And also for the blessing I myself receive when I see them come to Christ. The time, the money, the discomfort, the safety. I do this to get the gospel to them. And also for the blessing I myself receive when I see them come to Christ. Today, the gospel will be preached. Why? Why do all this? Colossians 1 through 5 just walk in there with me and look at it. Colossians 1 through 5, he's speaking to the Colossians, and Paul says there, Let me start in verse 3, and I'll work down to verse 5. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love for which you have for all the saints. Verse 5, he says, Because of the hope laid laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. You were looking forward to the joys of heaven and have been ever since the gospel was first preached to you. Why do we do this? Because the preaching of the gospel gives hope to the hopeless. That's why. There will be people there today that that is the biggest thing that's going to happen to them this week. Getting to go and have fun. They don't know that the message that is being preached is an eternally changing message that gives them hope in their world. We go down there and we do all those things because the gospel gives hope. Why do we do this? Verse 6 The same good news came to you and is going all over the world and changing lives everywhere just as it changed yours. 
that very day you heard it and understood about God's great kindness to sinners, we go down there because the gospel changes lives. Chapter 1, verse 13, he says that, he was, that they were rescued out of darkness and the gloom of Satan's kingdom and been brought into the kingdom of light. We go down there because we are, our freedom has been bought with the blood of Christ. We go down there because the gospel changes lives. Why do we do all this? Chapter 1, verse 20. And through him, speaking of Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, reconciled to him. Verse 21 says, And though, although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, in 22 he says, But now you've been recognized, reconciled, he has reconciled you in his fleshly body through death. What does it mean to be reconciled? What does it mean to be reconciled? Two things that are different becoming the same. Or maybe it's better even saying two things that are in disagreement or are separate, perhaps even. Being reconciled and in an agreement. And so when he speaks about me being reconciled to God, when he speaks about about Katie being reconciled to God, when he speaks about Steve being reconciled to God, what he is saying that in Steve's previous life, he was alienated from God. He was in darkness. He was evil. And now he's been reconciled. The unholy, me, the unholy has now been reconciled with the holy. The sinful has been reconciled with the sinless. The two are in agreement now. We go down to the city and we do what we do in the city. Wait a minute, let's just stop right there. I don't want you to think that this is a message about what's going to happen this afternoon. We, she goes to her dental office and does what she does because she's been reconciled. He goes to his print mill office and he does what he does because he's been reconciled. She has chickens in her backyard and makes neighbors with people. I don't understand why, but God uses it because she has been reconciled to him. She was in disagreement with him. She was separated from him, but now she has been brought together with him and are in agreement. And because she is in agreement with God, she seeks to tell others about that. This is not something that is going to happen this afternoon and we're going to wait a year before CF comes again. No, this is something that's happening Tomorrow morning. This is something that's happening tonight. This is something that's happening Tuesday morning. This is something that's happening every single day, whether you're going to university or the bleachers or your office or the NAC or wherever you're going. You're going there, and this is what he's talking about. This is what you're doing. Because this is not an event. This is a lifestyle. This is not something we do once in a while. This is how we lead our lives. This is what molds us and shapes us. We are gloves. We are gloves that have nothing in it, that can do nothing apart from it. And God invigorates us with this message and sticks his hand in and makes it do things it never thought it could do, preaching messages it never thought it would preach. Because of his mighty power at work in us. We have been reconciled. We are in agreement now, the unholy to the holy. But we are not just in agreement, not just reconciled, but read on in that verse. 
and you stand there before God. 22. And you stand there before God with nothing left against you. Nothing left that could ever be, you could ever be chided for. New American Standard says it like this. He has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless beyond reproach. Romans 8.1 says, See there, so there is now no condemnation awaiting those who belong in Christ Jesus. Did you catch that? There is no condemnation. So many times... In so many of our relationships, we're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. We're always waiting for something to happen in the relationship that changes it. We're always waiting to, to, to the day we walk in, and all of a sudden, it's a little cold. All of a sudden, it's a little different. And then the next day, it's a little bit more so. And then over the course of the time, that relationship has changed, and there's no longer really a relationship at all. That's the way our relationships are, but not his. Not the way God is. There is nothing that's going to stand in the way for us. And there's no way ever possible that we would ever come to a place where he's going to come and say, you know what happened to that relationship? Let me just tell you, this is what happened to it. There was this time and you said this and then you did that. And it really hurt me. And so that's why our relationship, you did wrong. That will never happen. Ever. For a man, woman, or child. Who has, their, who has professed their faith in Christ. They stand holy, blameless, above reproach, without condemnation. To the person who has professed their faith in Christ, who says, I need his death to be my death because I could never do enough to make atonement for my sin. I need what he did for me. To that person... They will one day see God and they do not have to worry about it because he says there's no condemnation. Because he says, I'm presenting them blameless, above reproach, and holy. There are people in this room, but there are also people that you'll see this afternoon who don't feel that way. Who are worried about what's going to happen when they wake up on the other side. And so this is what happens when you're worried about a situation and you don't have an answer for it. You begin to create your answer. So if I'm someone and I'm worried about what's going to happen on the other side of death and I'm really not sure about it, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to create my truth that I can be comfortable with. So this is what I'm going to say. For me to be okay with what's going to happen on the other side of death, for me to feel like I'm going to be accepted and there's something good waiting for me, I'm going to create a new truth for me. And this new truth says this. I have to do a lot of good works. I have to go to confession. I have to walk on glass. I have to do this. I have to do that. I have to do all these things. I have to do something for me to feel okay. That's my new truth. That's how I'm going to get into heaven. I'm going to live in it. Let me ask you something. If you go out here to this light, and I know that most of us, when we go to that light, we want to run it. (laughs) Because that light is 5.4 seconds long. And if you have a long car, you can't even get your car through that light, much less get two or three cars through that light. 
But if you go out to that light and you say, you know what, I don't like how long that light is, I'm going to decide to go through that red light right now because I, I think that that's what I should be allowed to do. And you go through that red light and one of Newtown's best sees you, they're going to pull you over and they're going to say, why did you run that, new light, that red light? And, and you'll say, well, because I felt like I should be able to. It's my truth. And that light's too short, that light's too short, and I need to go someplace. It's okay for me to do that. That's my truth. I should be allowed to do that. You're going to say, no, that doesn't work. That might be your truth. That's not Newtown Township's truth. So let me give you a little secret here. Let me write you a love letter here. There are many people who are living a life of things they have to do, of things they have to believe, that they believe are going to make a difference on the other side. And when they get there, just like that Newtown police officer, God will say, I'm sorry, but you could never do enough to win an entrance into my kingdom. You could only gain entrance in my kingdom through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Now, what did you believe about Jesus? Well, I didn't think he was enough. That's a problem. That's a problem. Because the only way, the only way, the only way to heaven is through the Son and Him alone. Him alone. There's nothing you add to it. There's nothing you can do to gain further entrance into heaven than trusting Christ completely. For the, for the payment of your sin and forgiveness of your sin. That's all. Your truth won't matter in eternity. It might work for you now, but it won't in eternity. And so when we read that there is now no condemnation waiting, when we read that, there, that we will be presented holy, blameless, and reproach, nothing that you've ever done in your past will haunt you. Nothing that you've ever done in your future will be charged against you. Nothing. God's unmerited grace is extended to you, meaning that the blood of Christ has covered all your sins, past, present, and future. All your sins are covered by that blood of Christ. You are not just reconciled, but there are no charges will be brought before you. That's why we give up the money. That's why we give up the comfort. That's why we give up the time. That's why we give up the safety. Because that message is worth it. Let me just stop right there. Let me just stop right there and just tell you this, because we have to say this over and over and over again. Here in Crossing, we have stripes in our church. Most churches do, I guess. I'm not sure. But, you know, we have stripes in our church here. And this stripe right here, this, on this side of this stripe is the, is the life before Christ. On this side of the stripe means that I do not know him. I have not professed him. I have not asked him to forgive me my sins. I am dead in my sins over here, alienated. That's what this passage is talking about. Alienated from him, living in the evilness of my desires. I might think God's a good guy. I might like him, but I am still dead in my sins. And this line right here, this line right here represents that point in time, the event, the one time event. When I come to this place and realize that I can do nothing to save myself and I need Jesus to do that for me. I can do nothing to pay for my sins and I need to take his payment for my sins. I can do nothing to gain an entrance into heaven and that I go there only because Jesus has made the way for me. 
That's this line. It's a tiny line. It's an event. And so I come to this place as a 12-year-old child, and I understand that I need Jesus. I profess my faith in him, and I understand that he died for me so that I don't have to die. And then I am made in that moment a new man, and I cross over from death to life. That, that line right there cost me nothing. There's nothing I had to do to cross over this line. I was able to cross over that line because Christ made it possible. There's nothing I do. That didn't cost me anything at all to get to do that. Nothing at all. Nothing. It didn't cost anything. On this side, it cost everything. 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 On this side, it cost everything. Chapter 1, verse 10 says, To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. In other words, die to yourself and live to him every day. Not because you have to, but because he is worth it. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, He died for all, so that all who live, having received eternal life from him, may no longer live for themselves, to please themselves, but to spend their lives pleasing Christ, who died and rose again for them. Did you hear what that said? That line costs nothing. On this side, it costs everything. You know why it's okay to go downtown and sweat today? Because he died for me. You know why it's okay to give up my money to go downtown today? It's because he died for me. You know why it's okay to go downtown and risk being unsafe? Because he died for me. And you can just add anything to that list that you want to, but it's all possible. It's all okay. It's all really, it's all really great to participate in that and to do all that because he died for me. He gave up all that I can give up my Sunday afternoon, that I can sweat, that I can give up my money this afternoon, whatever it may be, the thousands of dollars it's going to cost. All of that, all of that, all of that and more because he died for me. It costs nothing there. It should cost everything here. Everything here. Not because we owe it to him, but because we no longer live for ourselves, but we seek to please him who died and rose again. That's why. That's why we do what we do. That's why you live the way you live. That's why we go down to the city. There are people there today who have never, never, never heard that they can be forgiven. You might think that that's crazy. You might think that that's not true, that that can't be possible in the United States. Let me just tell you, where you're going this afternoon, there are people there who've never heard the name of Jesus. Isn't that not true, Brubaker? Yeah, I'm telling you. You're going to find Cambodians and Laotians and other people there that will go, who? What is that to me? What is that to them? It is the forgiveness of sins. It is the doorway to eternity. It is sleeping without shame, guilt in their life. It is being without condemnation. What is that to them? It's all that and so much more that I could even begin to articulate. That is what it is to them. That is what it is to them. We, we are salt. We are light. Read verses 25 through 29. I even love this to start in 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings. I rejoice in the fact that I give up my money. I rejoice in the fact that it's uncomfortable. I will rejoice in giving up my Sunday afternoon. I will rejoice in going down and being a little bit unsafe. I rejoice in my sufferings and in my flesh. I do care on behalf of his church and in filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And of this church, of this church, of you people, of the CF team who's going down there today, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed upon me for your benefit that I may fully carry out the preaching 
of the Word of God. Why? To fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden. And skip down to the end of 27, which is the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the thing. This is this thing. Who is our youngest member of our, of our CF team? Come here. Can you come here for a minute? Come here. Come here. Stand up and here. Think about it. Christ in her, the hope of glory. The youngest going down. This is the mystery of the ages. A little girl who knows Jesus and has the hope of eternity residing in her. In this earthly vessel, are you nervous yet? Are you embarrassed yet? Okay, good. You stay here a minute more. Okay. In this earthly vessel is the treasures of God, the eternal wisdom, even in this little nine-year-old. Okay, you can sit down now. The mystery, the hope of glory resides in us. And unless we go to our neighbor next door or unless we go to Mifflin Square in South Philly or unless we go to Haiti, that hope is absent from that place. He has chosen to use her. He has chosen to use us. He places that hope inside us and he says, That's my vehicle. That's my plan. The hope of glory in us. The hope of every person that will be in that park today, that hope that they need is in you and you and you and you and you. There will be people there... um, Christ has taken residence in us. We are the fragrance of life, like 2 Corinthians says. We are the salt. We are light in the darkness. And verse 28 says this. Verse 28 says this great, great, great statement. And so, and because, he says, so catch with me. He goes, he goes, now I rejoice in my sufferings, verse 24. In verse 25, he says, of this church, the, um, I am fully carrying out the preaching of the word, which has been this mystery that is hidden in verse 26. In verse 27, it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In verse 28, it says, and we proclaim him. Admonishing every man, woman, and child, teaching them with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. We proclaim him. Because we're proclaiming him, because we're not going down and talking about a sports team or our, our clean water, our literacy, all of, anything that, all of those things that are fine, well, and good, but we're not talking about that. We're proclaiming hope to a world. We're proclaiming freedom to captives. We're proclaiming sight to the blind. We're proclaiming the ability to walk to the lame. We're proclaiming hope to the hopeless. 
That's why we do what we do. That's why you're going to go this afternoon and do that. So that's why it is all worth it for this purpose. And listen to what he says even. And he goes, and for this purpose in 29, I labor and I strive. I labor and I strive. I give up my time and my money and my comfort and my safety for Jesus. For Jesus. Chapter 2, 13 through 14. He says, why do we do all this? Why do we labor and strive? Because I was dead and he made me alive. I owed a death penalty and he paid it. He took my, he took my bill. He took this thing that says, this is what you owe. He takes this thing and he says, this is what you owe. Here, excuse me, sir. This is your, your bill here. I'm sorry. This has a list of all your sins and what's going to cost you. So that's yours. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure doing business with you. That's what you owe. That's what the world has done to them. And then Christ comes and says, I'll take that for you. I'll take that bill for you, and I'll pay it for you. And that verse that we just looked at in 2, 13, 14 says, he took that receipt, he took that bill, he took that invoice for her sin and for my sin and for your sin, and he nailed it to the cross. His blood covered it and canceled, and canceled that invoice out. One day she'll appear before the Lord, and he'll look at her invoice, and he'll go, thank you, it's really nice to see you. There's nothing on it. Someone paid your invoice for you. Someone paid it for you. That's why we do all this. This book has more that we could look at, and we will in the next coming weeks. But that's why we do all this.